All right. How about now? That'll work. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you today. Good to see you this morning. It's it's a joy to be here. Uh, I have lots of stories to tell about Wayne this morning that I would think I'll refrain from. Wayne was an intern at the church I pastor. How many years ago, Wayne, were you there? 24 years ago, Wayne was an intern in Redlands at a church I pastor. It's called Pathway Church, where I was at for many, many years. Uh, I have the privilege now of serving as the president of the Baptist Foundation of California, and we do three things. And uh, hopefully, not hopefully, but we do these three things while we're an investment manager, and we manage about $225 million for Baptist causes here in California. Second thing we do is we do church lending. We help churches expand. We help churches buy property. We help churches uh, renovate. We help churches build new buildings uh, for kingdom causes. And the third thing we do is we do estate planning. And we help Christians like you plan for the future to care for your families, but also to provide for kingdom ministry when this life ends. In fact, we're going to talk about that after the service at the estate planning seminar at 1230. The Baptist Foundation does those things, and I have the privilege of leading the Baptist Foundation. Uh, I'm a pastor at heart. I uh, pastored uh, a church in Redlands called Pathway Church for 26 years. My wife and I, we left. Uh, I left the church in 2019 to come to the foundation and uh, we still attend the same church that I pastored for, uh, I was on staff for 26 years of the church. We still attend the church when we're in town. I see Shirley Neal out here. Uh, Shirley's uh, late husband, Ralph, and I served on the board of the Baptist Foundation for many, many years together. And I see Greg and Denise Harvey over here. Greg was my youth pastor when I was a teenager across the river. At First Baptist Church of Rancho Cordova, where my dad pastored for many years. Well, this morning, I want us to talk about legacy living. And usually when we hear that, that term legacy, we think about something uh, far away in the future. When we talk about leaving a legacy, that's always something that's in the future. But legacy living has to do with today. And if we're going to leave a legacy, we have to make kingdom-minded decisions today. We have to practice legacy living today. We make intentional choices today to ensure that the kingdom of God expands in the future. Now, years ago, I came across a quote that has rocked my world, and I can't get it out of my mind. It had a significant impact on me. It was by a a pastor by the name of Charles Spurgeon. He pastored in the 1800s, a church called Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. And Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Just let that sink in for a minute. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, which I would assume the majority of you here today claim to be followers of Jesus. Charles Spurgeon said you're either a missionary or an imposter. Now, I get it. When we think of the term missionary, we think of someone who lives across the ocean in a faraway land. Uh, when I was a kid, they wore, they wore, uh, they'd come to church and wear what I call them missionary shirts. They were these weird-looking shirts, and then they'd have a, a, a carousel of 35-millimeter slides. Anyone remember those days? And then we'd have to sit in church and listen. You know, they'd click through their slides. That's what we think of when we think of a missionary. But Charles Spurgeon said everyone's either a missionary, if you're a follower of Jesus, 
or an imposter. See, all of us are called to live our lives daily as missionaries pointing people to Jesus in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in the schools we attend, at the soccer field where our kids play, at the gym where we go in the morning. We're called to live our lives as missionaries for Jesus. That's really legacy living, making decisions today to impact the kingdom tomorrow. This morning, I want us to examine a passage of Scripture that gives us three truths about what it means to practice legacy living. I recognize we're in very unique times. A few years ago, we had an election that was sort of contentious. We also, in a very short time related to that, entered a global pandemic. By the way, I became the president of the Baptist Foundation. I joined the foundation in 2019 and officially became the president on March 1st, 2020. And then the world shut down. And I said, oh my, what have I got myself into? God's been good to the foundation in spite of our economy. But we had this global pandemic. We had a contentious election. And now we're in the midst of a war in Ukraine. and, And there's all kinds of political turmoil in our world. There's political turmoil in our nation. Uh... And things seem to get worse and worse and worse. Every time you turn on the news, there's some other kind of morality that seems to be legislated uh, by our government. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. It, It just feels like things get worse every day. But here's what I see as the good news for those of us that are followers of Jesus. The cultural, moral, uh, political shifts, they're requiring us either to become stronger and bolder in legacy living or just to throw in the towel and give up. Here's the reality. I don't want to throw the towel in and give up. And I don't think you want to throw the towel in and give up either. We, we want to be authentic followers of Jesus, making a difference in the world in which we live, pointing people to Jesus at every opportunity. See, friends, what's taking place in our society is nothing new. Just read the New Testament. The same kind of immorality we face today, you can read about in the New Testament. Yes, times have changed, but legacy living, being an authentic follower of Jesus Christ has always been significant. It's always been costly. It's always been hard. And today, if you're going to follow Jesus, it will cost you something. Today, if you're going to follow Jesus, there are going to be some challenges along the way. But the reality is, if you claim to be his follower, you have a responsibility to live your life as his missionary. So let's look at our text this morning. It's from Luke chapter 14. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open to Luke 14. If you use a digital device, go to Luke chapter 14. And I want to read the entire text, and then we're going to walk through it this morning together. Luke chapter 14, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, beginning in verse 25. 
It says, great crowds were following Jesus. And he turned around and said to them, if you want to be my follower. By the way, that's legacy living, being Christ's follower. He said, if you want to be my follower, you must love me more than your own father and mother, wife and children, brothers, sisters, yes, more than your own life. If I was holding a microphone right now, I'd drop it because that's a mic drop moment right there. Jesus said, you got to love me more than everybody. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And you cannot be my disciple if you do not carry your own cross and follow me. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first getting estimates and then checking to see if there's enough money to pay the bills? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of funds. And then how everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and ran out of money before it was finished. Or what king would ever dream of going to war without first sitting down with his counselors and discussing whether his army of 10,000 is strong enough to defeat the 20,000 soldiers who are marching against him? If he's not able, then while the enemy is still far away, he'll send a delegation to discuss terms of peace. So no one can become my disciple without giving up everything for me. Now, there's a lot in those few verses, and we're going to unpack them together this morning. But legacy living is not heroic Christianity. It's basic Christianity 101. Inviting your neighbor or a co-worker or a friend or relative to church is not extraordinarily Christian living. It's the basics. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Serving Jesus with all that we have and everything that we are is what's required of every Christ follower. Just read Acts 1.8. In Acts 1.8, Jesus instructs all of us to tell people about me everywhere. And then he clarified, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, Christ has called every single one of us to be as missionaries to the world in which we live. He said Jerusalem. Wayne and I were in Jerusalem, was it earlier this year? In January. We were in Jerusalem together. When Jesus said in Jerusalem, he was talking about where you live. That's your home, your workplace, your neighborhood, your school the gym you go to, the sports events you're a part of. That's your Jerusalem. And then he said it includes being a missionary outside of your own community, and he said in Judea and in Samaria. That's why we tell people about Jesus all across our continent. That's why your church, First Baptist Church of Fair Oaks, gives to the cooperative program, and we partner with the North American Mission Board, and we plant churches all across North America. That's our Judea and our Samaria. Legacy living also involves taking the gospel to places around the globe where people have not heard the good news. That's why Jesus said to the ends of the earth. So what does it take for me personally to practice legacy living? What does it take for you personally to practice legacy living? How do I ensure that I've moved from living as an imposter to living as an authentic missionary? So let's walk through our text this morning together. Here's the three truths. The first one is this. 
Legacy living requires me to give up control of my life. Now, it's easy for us to tell other people to give up control. And I'm sort of a control freak. My wife would say I'm not sort of a control freak. I like to control things. And here's what I would say to each of you. You're also a control freak because you want to control your own life. You want to make your own decisions. You want to control your own destiny. But legacy living requires us to give up control. Here's what Jesus said. We read it a minute earlier. He said, if you want to be my follower, you must love me more than your own father and mother. Just let this sink in for a minute. Love me more than your own father, mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, more than your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And you can't be my disciple if you do not carry your own cross and follow me. So what was Jesus saying here? Was Jesus saying we have to hate our families? No, that's not what he was saying here. He wasn't saying we have to hate our families. However, we have to realize that our lives belong to Jesus. And we have to be willing to give up control of our lives to be his missionaries, to follow him. Anyone ever been on a short-term mission trip, an outreach trip? If you go on a short-term mission trip, I see several of your hands. If you go on a short-term mission trip, you have to give up control especially if you go on an international missionary mission trip because things change rather rapidly. And sometimes what you planned on doing doesn't become reality, especially in a third world country that you're visiting or on a mission trip in. Things change. And what you plan to do, you might not do. And where you plan to sleep, you might not sleep. And what you thought you were going to eat, you're not going to eat. And what you thought you wouldn't eat, you're going to eat. You have to be willing to give up control. When you go on a mission trip, you don't hate your family. But catch this. For that season, for that time, you love Jesus more than you love the convenience of being with your family if your family doesn't go on the trip with you. Are you tracking with me? You love Jesus for that season more than you love being with your family. Jesus was teaching here in this passage that legacy living requires every single one of us to be willing to give up control of our lives. Now, Tammy and I have three children, our oldest and her husband, and their three kids live in Southeast Asia. There are missionaries. When you give to the cooperative program, you help support them. They, they, they work for our mission sending agency called the International Mission Board. Just a little side note, on Tuesday morning, Tammy and I will drive to Los Angeles International Airport and board a plane to go see our three grandkids. We're going to go see our grandkids. But they live in Southeast Asia, far away from both of their families, from my son-in-law's family and from my daughter's family. Why? Because they love Jesus and his call on their lives more than they love the convenience of living near family. We'd love to have them living down the street from us. But God's call on their lives is more important to them 
than the convenience of living near family. Friends, if you want to be an authentic missionary for Jesus, you've got to be willing to give up control of your life. Our daughter and son-in-law came back to the U.S. on January 15th of 2020 for five months, for a five-month stateside. And then the world shut down two months later. And they got stuck in the U.S. for two and a half years. Tammy and I were thrilled. They lived in a mission house that our church owns. Our church has uh, four mission homes. And they lived in a mission house that our church owned. They lived in the mission house for two and a half years during the pandemic until the country they lived in opened their borders back up. And in May of last year of 2022, I think it was 2022, Tammy and I drove them to the Los Angeles International Airport with their three children, and we put them on a plane to Southeast Asia, back to the country they live in. It was a hard goodbye saying goodbye to them after they had been in the States for two and a half years. But they loved Jesus and his call on their lives more than they loved the convenience of living, the convenience of living near family. Now, in many parts of our world, this scripture gets very real because if you choose to follow Jesus in many parts of our world right now, you will be ostracized by your family. There's a national partner that works with our kids. Uh, I'm not going to say her name, but, but, but Tammy and I have met her. We know her. She became a follower of Jesus Christ, and her family has disowned her. They treat her like she's not family because she turned her life over to Jesus. That's what Jesus is talking about in this passage. You have to love him more than you love your father, mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, sisters. Friends, following Jesus requires you to give up control of your life. He said you can't be his follower unless you're willing to give up control. If we go back to the quote from Charles Spurgeon, if you're not willing to give up control of your life, you're an imposter. And you're not an authentic missionary following Jesus. Paul, in a letter to the church at Ephesus, instructed believers there to make good use of their time. He said this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Friends, we're living in evil days. This scripture is for us. Make good use of your time pointing people to Jesus. Here's a second truth from our passage this morning from Luke. Legacy living requires me to let go of my resources today and tomorrow. I'm truly a missionary for Jesus if I can let go of everything I have for the cause of Christ. Now, we give our resources to God through the local church today. That's not heroic Christianity when you give your resources to the local church. That's basic Christianity 101 to give your tithe to the local church. But we give our resources to the kingdom of God tomorrow through biblical estate planning. 
which is what we're go- I'm going to talk about after the service in our estate planning seminar. There's a way, there's a variety of ways for you to bless your family when this life ends. And at the same time, give to kingdom ministry. Tammy and I have created an estate plan through the Baptist Foundation. We did it many years ago while I was pastoring. And our estate plan provides for our three children. But it also provides for kingdom work. A good portion of our estate is going to go to the church that I pastored for 26 years. A portion of our estate is going to go to the North American Mission Board. A portion of our estate is going to go to the International Mission Board. A portion is going to go to... California Baptist University, and a portion is going to go to Gateway Seminary. Those are all Baptist entities that are important to us. You can bless your family and the kingdom at the same time. I mentioned earlier my daughter and son-in-law live in Southeast Asia as our SBC missionaries. And when they moved to the field, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago, I've lost track of when it was, I watched them liquidate everything they owned. They sold all of their possessions. They sold their cars and either sold or gave away all of their household belongings. And when they moved to Southeast Asia for the first time, Tammy and I and my son-in-law's parents, the four of us, drove them to Los Angeles International Airport. They had no kids and the two of them boarded a plane to Southeast Asia with two suitcases each, and a carry-on, which constituted all of their worldly possessions. Wouldn't it be nice to have all your worldly possessions in just a couple of suitcases? So there's something about that that's scary, but something about that that also sounds pretty freeing, doesn't it? And I've, I've thought about when we took them to the airport and how they liquidated everything, and and for a short season, I, I was sort of impressed with my own kids. They liquidated everything for the cause of Christ. And then I realized the Scripture teaches that we're to be willing to do the same. And I was impressed with my kids and then realized God expects the same level of commitment and sacrifice from me. And he expects the same level of commitment and sacrifice from you. Here's what our text says in verse 28. Jesus, these are words of Jesus. He said, but don't begin until you count the cost. Now let me set the, let me set the stage here for what Jesus was saying. At this point, Jesus had a very large crowd following him. And what he was saying to the crowd was, you should go home because it's going to cost you everything to stay with me. Jesus was trying to thin the herd, thin the crowd. He was saying, don't begin until you count the cost because If you don't recognize it, if you follow me, it's going to cost you everything. And then he went on and said, For who would begin construction of a building without first getting estimates and then checking to see if there's enough money to pay the bills? Otherwise, you might only complete the foundation before running out of funds. And then how everyone would laugh at you, they'd say, Hey, there's the person who started that building and ran out of money before it was finished. 
You ever seen a construction project that got halfway done and then it just stalled out? There's a building uh, less than a mile from where Tammy and I live. It looks like it's some kind of drive through restaurant. It's on a main road near us. And they built this building. There are no windows or doors yet. The stucco's not complete. The parking lot's not done. And for 10 years, over 10 years, this building is set empty. There's weeds growing in the parking lot. I don't, maybe they ran out of funds. I don't know. We've all seen construction projects like that where people didn't plan well. They didn't count the cost. Well, newsflash, Jesus isn't giving construction advice here in this passage. He's not giving building advice. He was saying in this passage that imposters, fake Christians, they hold everything so tight that they never follow through with their commitment to follow Jesus because they live like this. And you hold everything so tight that they start the process of following Jesus and never finish. Friends, it's exhausting to live like this. It's exhausting to live like this. It's freeing to live like this. It's freeing to recognize we don't own anything anyway. It's all His. We're just managers. It's freeing to live with open hands and to say, God, everything I have is yours. I'm wondering if you'd be willing to say that with me. I'm wondering if you'd be willing to put your hands out in front of you just like this and say with me, God, everything I have is yours. Can we say that together? God, everything I have is yours. If you can learn to live like that, it is freeing. I know some of you are thinking right now, well, you don't understand my bills. You don't understand the obligations I have. And I don't, but God does. And God's the one who said this. God's the one that taught this. God understands your exact personal situation, and he still expects you to live like this, with open hands, saying, God, whatever I have is yours. Friends, it's, it's freeing when we learn to live like that. God, use it how you want. Now, I've not always understood this principle and lived by this principle. I, I told you earlier, I grew up across the river, Ranch Cordova, and my parents taught me at a young age to give a tithe to the local church. And I started giving to the local church when I was Young, if, if I had a dollar, man, my parents would give it to me in coins so I could put 10 cents in my offering envelope and turn it in in the offering on Sunday. I learned that at a young age. When Tammy and I got married 36 years ago, is that right, hon? 36 years ago, we made a commitment that we would always give a tithe to our, our local church. And we've honored that commitment for 36 years in our marriage. But even giving a tithe to the local church, I still lived like this. 
In the past 10 or 15 years, God has taught me to live like this. God's taught me that I don't own anything anyway. It's all his. Anything I have, he's just entrusted to me for a season. Man, it's been freeing. I got an email this morning from someone at California Baptist University because Tammy and I helped sponsor a college student that was raised in the church that I pastored going a mission trip. And every few days, I get an email from Cal Baptist with an update from this, about this college student on this mission trip. And they got home yesterday, and I got an email about it this morning. I didn't go on this mission trip, but I got to give so this student could go, and his life will be forever changed. And the people that they ministered to on this trip, their lives will be forever changed because God's teaching me to live like this. And God's allowed Tammy and I to be a part of some great things because we've, we're learning to live like this. And I want to encourage you to live with a loose grip on everything God has entrusted to you. Legacy living requires me to let go of my resources. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 6, it's a, it's a familiar passage for many of us. Jesus says, store your treasures in heaven where they'll never become moth-eaten or rusty, where they'll be safe from thieves. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart and thoughts will also be. I'd add to that verse today, instead of saying just where your treasure, where they'll not be moth-eaten or rusty, I'd, I would add in where the stock market doesn't go up and down. So you don't have to worry about that when God owns it. When everything you have belongs to him, you don't have to worry about a lot of that. So how do we store up our treasures in heaven? By investing in people. By investing in getting people to heaven. Here's the third truth this morning. The third truth is legacy living requires me to passionately offer my skills, talents, and abilities to Jesus. Now, I pastored long enough, Pastor Wayne, to know when I say that, half to two-thirds of the people here are going to go, well, that doesn't apply to me because I don't have any gifts or talents God wants. Because some of you are thinking that right now. If I had a gift or talent God wanted, I'd give it to him. But I don't play an instrument or sing like Kevin or the rest of the people in the band, you think. And you can't speak in front of people like Pastor Wayne does. And you don't like kids, so there's nothing for you to do in the kingdom. You don't have any gifts, talents, and abilities that God wants. Wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. The Bible teaches that every follower of Jesus has been uniquely gifted, talented, and endowed with incredible abilities. And in our text, Jesus discusses bringing our skills, talents, and abilities together to get the job done. He said this in verse 31. What king would ever dream of going to war without first sitting down with his counselors and discussing whether his army of 10,000 is strong enough to defeat the 20,000 soldiers who are marching against him? If he's not able, then while the enemy is still far away, he'll send a delegation to discuss terms of peace. Well, just as in the last little passage we read, Jesus wasn't giving construction advice, Jesus isn't giving military advice in this passage either. He's using an analogy 
to make sure all of us are willing to bring our skills, talents, and abilities together to accomplish his work. All of us. First of all, all of us here that are a part of First Baptist Church Fair Oaks are to bring our skills, talents, and abilities together to get the work done God's called us to do. And then beyond First Baptist Fair Oaks, all of us who are a part of the church with the big C, the worldwide church of God, are to bring our gifts, talents, and abilities together to get the work of God done. That's why, as a Baptist church, you give to the cooperative program. So you plant churches across North America. So you send missionaries, like my kids, across the world to share the good news of Jesus where the gospel's not been heard. This morning, we have missionaries, about 3,500 of them, all across the world sharing the gospel. I have a brother that lives in a closed country in the Middle East. And I'm not going to say the name of the country for security reasons. You'd be shocked that he lives in this country as one of our missionaries sharing the good news of Jesus. So what gifts do you possess? What talents do you have? What are you good at? Then along with all the other members of the body of Christ, we combine our talents and abilities to get the job done. Now, I don't have any medical skills or any building skills. In fact, I couldn't build a doghouse that would stand. I can't. But I have led several, multiple short-term mission trips to different parts of the world. I've led construction teams to different parts of the world and medical teams. I led a construction team to an island in Southeast Asia that had been devastated by an earthquake a few years back. I don't have any construction skills. But I can organize, and I can lead, and I can administrate. I worked together with our team, and I facilitated thousands of dollars worth of equipment getting to our location and tools and construction supplies. We built 50 homes in a community in a week, 50 10 by 10 homes in a community that had been wiped out from an earthquake. I negotiated some logistics issues. I negotiated a significant conflict with one of our national partners there. So those that were good at building could build. And while they were building, you know what I did? I handed them tools. I moved wood. I got more nails for them. I did what I could do to facilitate what they were good at. I've led a couple medical mission teams. On one medical mission team, I was the pharmacist. I'd go to jail in the United States for what I did in this country. I had all kinds of drugs that are illegal in that country, and we had doctors and nurses and medical professionals, and we had a line of people down the village that were in line to see these people, and they just told me what to distribute, what medications to give out. I did what I could do with the skills and gifts and talents God had given me to facilitate the work that God had called us to do. And God wants you to use his gifts and his talents and his abilities in you to be a missionary here and abroad. The truth is, I'm not to look at everyone else's gifts and compare myself. I'm to use whatever gifts God's given me to be his missionary, wherever God has placed me, and you are to do the same. That's legacy living. 
1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said, now all of you together are Christ's body. And catch this, he said, and each one of you is a separate and necessary part. Friends, that doesn't leave out any of us. Each one of you is a separate and necessary part. You're necessary for God's work to be accomplished right here at First Baptist Church, Fair Oaks, and you're necessary for God's work to be accomplished in the Big C Church worldwide. So are you living as a missionary or an imposter? This morning, I'm challenging you to give up control. I'm challenging you to let go of your resources now and in the future. And I'm challenging you to offer your skills, talents, and abilities to Jesus. These are his words. He said, so no one can become my disciple without giving up everything for me. Father, I pray this morning that you would challenge every person here to give up everything for the sake of the gospel. Father, I pray right now that you would challenge every person here to look within to their gifts, talents, and abilities, to their resources. And Father, you would challenge them to let go of the resources and use their gifts, talents, and abilities to serve you right where you've placed them as a missionary. And Father, I pray that we would no longer be imposters, but we would live day in, day out as your missionaries, pointing people to you, directing people to the good news of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And Father, as we do those things, we would sense your presence in our lives and we would sense the fact that we're fulfilling our mission, our purpose, and our destiny, living out our lives for the sake of the gospel. Father, not only draw us closer to you, draw draw us to a deeper level of commitment, using our gifts, talents, abilities, and our resources to serve you in a deeper way in this community in our state, across our nation, and around the globe. Father, we pray these things in the wonderful and the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand together as we continue to worship?